First Timothy 3, if you would join me in prayer one more time. Heavenly Father, this indeed is the cry and prayer of our hearts. Speak, O Lord, till your church is built and the earth is filled with your glory. Help us to see your Son, our Chief Shepherd, in the Scriptures and his plan for his people, his flock for whom he died, the church. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I have a job posting to read to you this morning. Listen to this job posting. Our next senior pastor must be able to wear the dual hats of pastor, able to discern God's direction for the congregation, as well as CEO with organizational leadership skills to lead a complex organization with more than 350 employees. This leader will bring the right balance of preserving what is, but also will fan the flames of the church's DNA of boldness, innovation, and creativity. He will provide overall leadership and vision for the entire network of regional campuses. He will ensure that the church's vision and strategy is clear and understood and that the church is positioned for strength well into the future. The senior pastor will have the ability to dream and cast vision for the next season of congregational life and community impact. The ideal candidate will demonstrate spiritual leadership, an authentic walk with Jesus, and a proven commitment to balancing the rhythms of work and life. He will be a proven leader of leaders who can motivate and inspire high-capacity men and women to use their gifts to further the vision. Uh, this was the job posting, as you can tell, for uh, the senior pastor of a very, very influential evangelical megachurch that has exercised enormous influence on the shape of evangelical Christianity over the last couple of decades. What words come to mind when you think of a leader for Christ's church? What words does the word leadership connote? A number of us might say, well, he must be a visionary or strategic thinker. A leader should be motivational, inspiring, charismatic, compelling, eloquent. Some in the younger generation might eschew all of that, and they might say something more along the lines of, well, a leader should be approachable, warm, relatable, friendly, down-to-earth, an energetic personality. What does the Bible say? What are God's qualifications for leaders? What's the job description that Scripture gives us? Well, this morning we're going to see exactly that, what Scripture has to say about Christ's leaders for His church. So I'm going to read to you now another job posting. Listen to this one from God's Word in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 7. The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be above reproach, the husband of one wife, 
sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? He must not be a recent convert, or he may become puffed up with conceit and fall into the condemnation of the devil. Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders, so that he may not fall into disgrace, into a snare of the devil. Friends, as we look at the New Testament and its teaching on leadership, we see one clear and consistent, coherent picture. Our Lord Jesus Christ has ordained that His church must be led by a team of godly men, known as elders, who will shepherd His flock, teach his word, and oversee his church. Let me repeat that for you. Our Lord Jesus Christ has ordained that his church must be led by a team of godly men known as elders who will shepherd his flock, teach his word, and oversee his church. These men are appointed by the Holy Spirit himself. They receive their authority from Christ himself and are given to the church as the gifts of Christ to his people. They are recognized by the congregation. Uh, in fact, if you look at the New Testament, there are multiple terms used to describe this same office. These elders are also called pastors or overseers. Elders, pastors, overseers, all the same thing. And my goal this morning is, as we look into the New Testament and its teaching on eldership, on leadership, I don't just want you to be instructed concerning the Bible's teaching on elders, but I pray that our hearts would be deeply thankful and recognize that elders, pastors, are gifts of the risen Christ to you, brothers and sisters, for your growth in grace in Christ-likeness, and in maturity. And I pray that from this thankfulness, you would come to a place where you honor your elders and submit to them as the Lord's own under-shepherds in your life. We're going to look at a lot of Scripture today, many different passages. We're looking at the entirety of what the New Testament says about eldership. Uh, and so uh, I've given you an outline in your bulletin on page 10. Uh, we'll be flying through a number of passages. You can look them all up later. Almost every scripture that I'm going to cite today is there uh, in that outline. And we're going to look at what the New Testament says by asking and answering three questions today. First, who are elders? Who are elders? Second, what do they do? What do elders do? How do they function in the life of the church? And then third, how must you relate and respond to your elders? All right, so first, who are elders? Uh, let's look at another passage. This one is from Titus, Titus chapter 1, verses 5 and following. 
This is why I left you in Crete, Paul says, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. If anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife, and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. For an overseer, as God's steward, must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered or drunkard or violent or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. So as we ask the question, who are elders? First, we would notice that the word there, the term there is plural. They're elders, right? Every church is led by elders. They work as a team. They work as a plurality. And it's not a good thing if a church does not have elders. Did you notice what he, uh, Paul says there in verse 5? He tells Titus that Titus must put into order what remained or what was left undone by appointing elders in every town. So in other words, some of these churches didn't have elders yet, and that was not a good thing. It means they were out of order biblically, and they needed elders in order to be put into order. So the consistent picture in the New Testament is that every church is led by a team of men, by a plurality of leaders who are called elders. Uh, we see this in the church in Ephesus, for instance. If you go to Acts chapter 20, verse 17, Paul sends to Ephesus and he calls the elders, plural, of the church to come to him. In Acts chapter 21, verse 18, Paul is in Jerusalem. Uh, it says he, on the following day, went in with James and all the elders, plural, were present. If you go to James chapter 5, James gives instructions for what, someone, what we must do when someone is uh, seriously sick. It says in James chapter 5, verse 14, if someone is sick, let him call for the elders, plural, elders of the church. And I could cite a number of other New Testament passages. In fact, it's almost no place where elders is used in the singular. So it speaks of just a single pastor. When it speaks of a single shepherd, it's speaking of Christ. You have one or two places only, like Second or Third John, where a letter is written to one elder. For the most part, churches are marked by this plurality, this team leading them called elders. Speaking of which, we should consider what they are called. Right? What they are called. I told you the terms elder, pastor, and overseer are used interchangeably in the New Testament. They all refer to the same thing. We've just seen that in 1 Timothy 3. Paul gives the qualifications for these leaders and he says if anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. In Titus chapter 1, he tells Titus, put into order what remained and appoint elders in every town, as I directed you. Uh, you could see all three terms, for instance, in a passage like Acts chapter 20, verse 28, where Paul has summoned, I just read to you the uh, uh, verse where he calls the elders of the church in Ephesus. He summons the elders of the church in Ephesus in verse 17, and then in verse 28 he says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock 
in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. So these men were elders, comes from the Greek word presbyteros, from which you get the term Presbyterian. Here he says the Holy Spirit has made them overseers, comes from the Greek word episkopos, from which we get the word bishop actually. And then he says to care for the church of God. Uh, if you look at some of the older translations, that word says uh, shepherd, those who, to, to shepherd the church of God. Uh, you could also say to pastor the church of God. It's all the same word, all right? Poimino, to pastor, to shepherd, to care. So Paul is speaking to the elders. He says the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers, and he tells them your job is to pastor. Do you see? Uh, you see the same thing again in 1 Peter 5, chapter 1. Uh, Peter is speaking to the elders. He says, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. He's speaking to the elders, exhorting the elders. Verse 2, shepherd, that is pastor. Same word. Pastor the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight as an overseer. Right? So elders, pastors, overseers all refer to one office. There's one office in the New Testament uh, that they hold, and that's the office of elder or pastor or overseer. Uh, we even see uh, in 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17 that some of them might be unpaid, others might be paid, those who are specifically devoted to the work of preaching and teaching. Let elders be worthy of double honor, especially, particularly, those who labor in preaching and teaching. So you have, and throughout church history we have seen, where there are those who uh, occupy this office and do the work of an elder who are full-time vocational elders, who are paid by the church, especially to devote themselves to the study and teaching and preaching of God's word. And there are others whom the Lord raises up and who are appointed from within the flock who serve in this office non-vocationally. They have other daytime jobs that they do on a daily basis, but they also lead and serve Christ's church as elders. So there's really no difference. It's not like the paid guys are called pastor and the unpaid guys are elder. That's a misnomer, right? A, a pastor is a paid elder. And an elder, what you normally call an elder, you think of a lay elder, is an unpaid pastor, right? We are all doing the same work together as a team. We've seen who, what you know, that what they're called. We've talked about them being a team. Most important, not any man can be an elder. It's not just if there's somebody who's a nice guy, who's popular in the church, who's friendly, we appoint him to be an elder. It's not just if some guy is charismatic and has a big personality, he needs to be an elder. No, the Bible also gives us qualifications qualifications for elders. And I think the first and obvious qualification, and I need to mention this simply because even though it's been consistent for almost 2,000 years of church history, it's in debate today, uh, is the, the obvious qualification that elders are to be male, right? And 
That's the clear teaching again of the New Testament, right? Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 12, I do not permit a woman to teach or to exercise authority over a man. And really, those two functions, teaching and exercising authority, are the functions of elders. So if a woman was to occupy the office of elder, then we are violating what the clear teaching of God's Word in 1 Timothy 2, verse 12. And Paul gives that command not on the basis of culture or for some cultural reasons in the first century. No, we're told it's because of the created order, for Adam was formed first and then Eve. So as a proper reflection of the created order, elders who exercise authority and who teach are to be male. This doesn't mean that women don't exercise a fruitful, flourishing, helpful ministry in the body of Christ. They do, and we affirm that, and we want to see them flourish. It just means that this particular office is reserved for not just any man, but qualified men who are qualified according to the qualifications given in Scripture. And I've preached uh, another sermon on that on 1 Timothy 2. You can look it up on our website and listen to hear more. The qualifications for elders are summarized for us in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 7, and Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 9, uh, which both passages I read to you. And if you read those passages, what you will notice is, uh, as D.A. Carson says, what's most remarkable about these qualifications is how unremarkable they are. What you see there, for the most part, is the qualifications of Christians. Qualifications that every Christian should aspire to. Character that should be true of all of God's people. That's what you see in those passages. And the summary, kind of the summary statement there is that these men should be above reproach. An overseer must be above reproach. 1 Timothy 3 verse 2. Again, in Titus, it says, if anyone is above reproach. This doesn't mean that they have no sin at all. All of us are sinners. All of us are weak, flawed, sinful men. We all stumble in many ways, as the Bible says. But to be above reproach, it means that there is no glaring flaw or blot on a man's life that Satan can point to, that outsiders can point to, that can cause him to lose respectability both inside and outside the church. There must be no blot on his character or life. He must be blameless in that sense, above reproach. And we might summarize these qualifications in three categories of being above reproach. The first one is that elders must be above reproach in family management. Elders must be above reproach in family management. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 says, he must be the husband of one wife. Verses 4 and 5, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for God's church? In Titus chapter 1 and verse 6, if anyone is above reproach, the husband of one wife and his children are believers and not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. So let's take those one by one. Elders must be a one-woman man, the text literally says. This means that you do not appoint a man to the office who is licentious in his behavior, who is enslaved to pornography, who is loose with women. 
Sadly, in our day, over and over again, I've seen this example ignored. I know of a very, very gifted preacher who committed a egregious, egregious adultery and had an affair spanning several years. And then it all came to light. And one year later, he's back preaching again, and some other church has received him. Brothers and sisters, never follow such leaders. It's very clear in the New Testament what an elder should be. We ought to be a one-woman man, faithful to our spouses. Not only that, we must have leadership and exercise authority in our household such that the family is in order. Do you see that? With all dignity, an elder must keep his children submissive. The children are not out of control, running amok, back answering mom and dad all the time, disregarding their authority. If a man is living such a way in his household, there's no way he's going to be able to lead and guide God's church. Now, sometimes people misunderstand what's in Titus 1.6 where it says his children are believers and so they say, well, does that mean that the, the children all have to be born again uh, Christians? I don't take that view. The, in fact, the majority of interpreters don't take that view. The word translated believers there can also mean faithful. That means they are faithful in submitting to his authority. They're not open to the charge of debauchery or insubordination. An elder is not a man who has teen kids, teenage kids who are peddling drugs or truant or living in such a way as to bring harm to his reputation, his office as an elder. No, their children must be under control and under his authority. They must respect his authority. He must be able to exercise his authority. He must be proactive in his parenting. This is foremost in the qualification of elders. I've seen too many pastors sacrifice their families on the altar of ministry, and the family is out of control. The children grow up with a resentment towards the church, a resentment towards dad's authority, and here he is functioning in ministry. That ought not to be so. Our first ministry is our ministry at home, all right? So elders must be above reproach in family management. Next, elders must be above reproach in godly character, in godly character. Now, if you're looking at those character qualifications, we're told what they should be not and then what they should be. An elder should not be arrogant. You want humble men serving as shepherds, as leaders in Christ's church, and the hallmark of arrogance that I've seen, and I've seen a lot of arrogant men, is that they talk a lot without knowing what they're talking about. The scripture tells us in 1 Timothy 1, this was characteristic of false teachers and bad elders. They make confident assertions about things they know nothing about. No, before you become a teacher in the church of God, you should be teachable. And one who is a teacher should be marked by a lifelong teachability, always being willing to learn, always being willing to re-examine what they believe and consider it in light of scriptures, always humbly in submission to the word of God. Elders must not be quick-tempered. They mustn't be guys who quickly fly off the handle or hot-headed. They must not be quarrelsome, someone who's always ready to get into a fight. 
Someone who's always ready for a nice argument, duke it out, pugnacious. No, they must not be a drunkard, must not be addicted to much wine, must not be controlled by wine and medicating themselves with alcohol. They must not be greedy for gain. An elder must not be someone who has his eyes fixed on money. Instead, he must have his eyes fixed on Christ. We're told what they should be. They must be hospitable. Those who welcome you into their lives and into their homes. They must be self-controlled. They have a long wick. Don't get angry quickly. They are self-controlled and disciplined in the way that they live. They're to be sober-minded. There must be a sobriety about them, not just as it relates to the use of alcohol, but in their control of their emotions, in their thoughtfulness about life. They must be gentle. They're able to deal with different sorts of people as the circumstance requires, with gentleness, tenderness, and care. They must be respectable, upright, holy, respectable, well thought of by outsiders so that the world doesn't look at the shepherds and say, what kind of men are these? So as we look at all of those qualifications, like I said, they're not remarkable. They're not extraordinary. And, and what the scripture is going for there is not that these, would be, these leaders would be those who are extraordinary, rather that they would be exemplary. They're to live in such a way that they are examples of what every Christian should aspire to be. But there is one qualification that sets them apart from other believers. They are to be above reproach in family management, above reproach in godly character, but they are also to be above reproach in sound doctrine. The one qualification there that sets apart an elder from a deacon and from ordinary regular Christians in the church is that they must be able to teach. That means... They must be able, as Titus 1.9 says, they must be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. They're able to open the Bible and tell you what the Bible says in any given area of life. They're able to discern what doctrines are essential for believers to believe. They're able to feed you with the Word of God so that you're able to grow in Christ-likeness give instruction in sound doctrine, and they're able to protect you from false teaching. This is necessary. This is a gifting that every elder must have. We don't appoint men to the office of elder if they're unable to handle faithfully the Word of God, no matter how big a personality they might be. Speaking of appointment, how are they appointed? We've, we've seen... Uh, the terminology used to describe them. We've seen that they must function as a team. We've seen their character qualifications. Now we might consider their appointment. Who is it that appoints elders to their office in the church? Well, the answer is Christ. Christ, through the Holy Spirit, calls and appoints a man to be an elder of the church. Elders are gifts of Christ to his church. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, it's speaking there of Christ having descended and then having conquered sin and death, he has ascended, he rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, and it says, and he gave, verses 11 and following, he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, 
and shepherd teachers. Uh, the word there is the last two terms, shepherds and teachers, are best hyphenated. They, they refer to the same thing shepherd teachers, pastor teachers. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. Christ, the risen Christ, the ascended Son of God, gives shepherd teachers, pastor teachers, elders to his church. Or consider what Paul says in Acts chapter 20, verse 28. He is speaking to the elders. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you, has appointed you as overseers. Brothers and sisters, elders receive their appointment. They are called and appointed by God himself, by Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And right there you might say, wait, what about the congregation? I thought it's us that we vote and appoint them. Well, the New Testament makes it clear that they are appointed by Christ, by the Spirit. They receive their authority not from the congregation, but directly from God. And there's a lot of confusion about this sometimes, so I've given you a small uh, figure that I found helpful by, by somebody that's uh, in your notes on the next page there, how elders receive their authority. They receive their authority from God. So then, what about the congregation's vote? What, what is that all about? Well, the congregation is also held responsible for whose leadership we follow, for whom we sit under. And so the congregation chooses men and votes to affirm or recognize a man in that office as an elder. Not to appoint them, but to affirm them. To recognize that the Holy Spirit has called such a man, shaped his life, gifted him to serve in this office, and we recognize him now as occupying that office. And therefore, acknowledge that we will submit to his leadership. Brothers and sisters, as we think about who elders are, I am so happy to commend to you our elders at ECC as pastors of this flock under Christ, called and appointed by the Holy Spirit, given by the risen Christ as gifts to this church, affirmed by our congregation as meeting these biblical qualifications, as called to this office, they are given for the oversight of the church. These are men who, by the power of the Holy Spirit's work in their life, meet these qualifications. And Christ has appointed them. We have 13 at ECC. What a blessing. What an abundant blessing the Lord has given us. If you're an elder here, would you please stand? I just want the congregation to see you. Brother elders, would you stand? There'll be several of them in the next service as well. These are godly men who meet these uh, qualifications and whom Christ has given to you. That's it. Pastor Sam Marrero, Pastor Romeo Jalipa, Pastor Will Barkley, Pastor Ben Zamora, Pastor Christian Luanda, Pastor Christopher Manfort, Pastor Oscar Ramirez, Pastor Raymond Pardede, Pastor Andrew Archer, Pastor Elias Abera, Pastor Adam Troy, Pastor Cass O'Rear, given as a team to shepherd this flock. Now, what about the office of, you know, why am I called the senior pastor? Well, we do see in Scripture that there are those who are sometimes given primary responsibility for the preaching and teaching of the church, who, whose main work is to preach the Word of God and devote themselves to the study and teaching of God's Word. 
And we see that from the fact that the letter to the church, uh, to 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, the church had elders in Ephesus, but Paul is writing specifically to Timothy. The letters to the churches in the book of Revelation are written to one leader of each church. And so, yes, Scripture does have a place for someone whose primary responsibility is to be responsible for the primary diet of the church in terms of preaching and teaching, and that's what I do. But I'm not a solo flying guy, all right? This is not a one-man show. I'm not the quote-unquote anointed man of God who is the CEO of the church. And I want to tell you this, brothers and sisters, I love you. I love you. I love pastoring this church. I want to be with all of you all the time. When I travel, I don't just miss my family, I miss the church. I'm thinking of you guys. I have you on my heart. I pray for you by name. But I can't do this work alone. All right? And I have to be, if I have to be there for everyone all the time, if I have to respond to every single WhatsApp, it would drive me crazy, more crazy than I already am. And that's why God has blessed this church with a whole team of shepherds who love you. And, and the game that we play is not Aubrey, Aubrey, he's our man. If he can't do it, no one can. No, I'm not the first person you run to for everything. I want to encourage you to go to these brothers, to go to your elders, to seek them out, to shepherd you, to care for you in your life. They're a blessing. They love you too. I spent about, if I look at this whole week, I've been teaching altogether after I finished these sermons, I would have been teaching this week, teaching and preaching, speaking for about eight and a half hours in total. All right, then you've got to consider all of the study that goes into the eight and a half hours of public teaching. It takes time. And that means sometimes I have to neglect certain other commitments. But praise God, there are other brothers who can fulfill those commitments as shepherds of the flock. So I commend these men to you. I want to speak to the men in the congregation this morning. If you're a member at ECC, brothers, I want to challenge you. Aspire to the office of elder. Why wouldn't you want to be such a man that Scripture lays out in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1? It says that if you aspire to the office of elder, you desire a noble task. Look at those qualifications, 1 Timothy 3, Titus 1. Meditate on those qualifications in the New Testament. Look at the example of your own elders and the kind of life that they live and seek every opportunity to grow into just such a man. All right? Pursue that in your life. And I want to speak to us as a church. Brothers and sisters, when we appoint leaders in Christ's church, when we are receiving someone as a leader, let the biblical qualifications be our compass, always. When you go from here, if you're seeking a church and you're looking at uh, what kind of a pastor you will submit to, look at the biblical qualifications. We're not looking at popularity. We're not looking at personality. We're not looking at the fact that they're a visionary. We're not even looking at gifting as much as character, godliness, and character that conforms to the biblical requirements. So we've seen the Bible's answer for who elders are. Now we need to look at what Scripture says concerning what elders do. What elders do. They are supposed to be qualified in this way because their qualifications fit them for a certain role in the life of the church. They perform certain functions in the life of the congregation. 
And here it is where people begin to get a bit confused as to what elders do and what they're supposed to do. So let me first clarify what they are not to do and what they're not supposed to be. All right. First of all, elders do not function as elected representatives of various constitu constituencies in the congregation. All right. They're not your elected representative. Oh, we got the Filipino guy who's now going to represent Filipino interests. Oh, we got the Latino brother who's now going to represent the Spanish people. That's not how they're supposed to function. No. They're not representatives on behalf of the congregation to lobby for your particular agenda. They are not business savvy men. We're not looking for business savvy men who will then act as some sort of a board of directors who are the bosses of the pastors and then keep the CEO in check and then act as trustees of the church. That's not what they're supposed to be. That's not what you see in the New Testament. They are not anointed authoritarian rulers whom you must fear and obey in every respect to the point of what time you wake up in the morning and what directions you should use for brushing your teeth. No, they are not yes men either. They are not yes men who fulfill the will and agenda of the senior pastor and do what he says. And finally, they're not buddies. Sometimes people want elders who will just be their buddy and best friend. That's not what an elder is supposed to be. No, from all of the New Testament, it's clear that there are three primary functions that elders fulfill. First, elders must be teachers of the word. They must be teachers of the word. We've seen in 1 Timothy 3 that the qualification that distinguishes them is that they are able to teach that they hold firm to the trustworthy word and they're able to give instruction in sound doctrine and refute those who contradict. Jeremiah chapter 3.15, when God promises elders for his people in, in the new covenant, he says, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who will feed you with knowledge and understanding. We think about Ephesians chapter 4 where Christ gives shepherd teachers. I told you the word is hyphenated. They shepherd, they pastor, we pastor by teaching. Our ministry is a ministry of the word. We equip saints to grow up into maturity and so that the people of God will not be tossed to and fro by every wave and wind of false doctrine. And we equip you in those ways by teaching. If you look at the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, again and again you see this emphasis, teach, 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 instruct. Brothers and sisters, God has revealed himself and his plans for us in a book in words, his written words, scripture. And understanding these words, understanding sound doctrine, is the pathway to growth and godliness in the Christian life. And the Lord blesses you with teachers of his word to help you along. So the primary ministry of elders is a ministry of the word of God through public preaching and teaching, through uh, the private ministry of the word through discipling and counseling, through the modeling. Elders also teach not just by their words but by their lives. Modeling for you what it means to live a life devoted to Christ. But elders don't just teach as instructors. And the church is not simply a seminary or a school. It's not less than that but it's more than that. And our ministry is not merely one of proclamation. No, our ministry is also a ministry of presence. A ministry of care, prayer, involvement, 
in people's lives. That leads to the second function of elders and what they do. Not only are elders teachers of the word, but they are also shepherds of the flock. Shepherds of the flock. Think of our passage that our brother Daniel read. Jeremiah 23 verse 4. God is looking forward, pointing forward to the day when he is going to reestablish his people in the new covenant. And this is one of his promises for the new covenant people of Christ. He says, I will set shepherds over them who will care for them and they shall fear no more nor be dismayed neither shall any be missing declares the Lord God gives his people shepherds after his own heart to feed them to care for them and we see that promise fulfilled in the New Testament office of elder First Peter 5 verses 1 to 4, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. Verse 2, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Elders fulfill this promise. You know, it's a beautiful theme in all of scripture, the theme of shepherd. You go back to the time when the people of God, Israel, were in slavery in Egypt and God leads them out, rescues them from that oppression to be his own people with a mighty hand and outstretched arm. And it says that he led them along as a shepherd leads his flock with Moses and Aaron as his under-shepherds. Moses was shepherding the people on behalf of the Lord who was their shepherd. You see, again, when they enter the promised land, God appoints kings over them. King David is described as a shepherd. He was a shepherd before he became king so that he would look after the flock of God as a shepherd. David himself describes the Lord as a shepherd. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That's how God cares for his people. And as we keep reading the Old Testament, we'll see that the leaders of the people of Israel were evil shepherds. They did not feed the sheep Instead, they fattened themselves on the sheep by devouring the sheep, by false teaching, by leading them astray. And God promises to judge those evil shepherds. Finally, he judges the whole nation, sending them off into exile. And then he repeatedly, repeatedly in the prophets gives us this promise that he would bring his people back. And he says, I myself will be their shepherd. I will shepherd them. There will be a new chief shepherd who arises from the line of King David and he will be their good shepherd. And then we see that that promise is fulfilled in our Lord Jesus Christ. God the Son comes to us fully God, fully man. He is the good shepherd, he says, who lays down his life for the sheep. He died on the cross, poured out his blood so that we would be brought into his sheepfold so that we would be forgiven of our sins, cleansed and made His. So maybe you're off wandering somewhere this morning. Maybe you have never known the goodness and grace and tender mercy of the Good Shepherd, our Lord Jesus Christ. If that's you, I want to call you to turn away from your sin, to come back from your wandering, to hear the voice of the Chief Shepherd summoning you today to repentance and faith and become a part of his flock. He loves his sheep and he laid down his life to save us by his blood and not only that, he loves us so much that he has blessed us, he gifts us 
with shepherds whom he appoints in his stead, shepherds after his own heart, under shepherds who will care for his flock. Friends, that's what your elders are. They are Christ's appointed representatives, his shepherds who shepherd you on his behalf. He shepherds you through them. This means that elders care for God's flock. They have an awareness of what's going on in members' lives. It means that they are living in personal relationship with you. One pastor, as I said, cannot possibly build relationships with all of our 486 members. But between 13 elders, I think we can. And I'm constantly amazed by the awareness that our elders share of details in members' lives, of the reach that they have relationally in this congregation. They love and care for you. I've seen many a time elders weep for members of the flock. They especially care for those who are suffering and struggling. They're always there. So that from hospitals to homes, from the courtyard to counseling sessions, from the pulpit to the parking lot, the love and reach and care of our elders here is unlike most Christians have experienced anywhere in any church in the world. I think of one letter. We've received numerous letters from former members, from members who are leaving, from members who are here. It's so encouraging. I want to share with you one small excerpt from our sister Trish Sellers, who in a span of two years lost her dear husband to cancer and then within two years lost her mother. And when she was leaving, she wrote these words. She said, to my elders, thank you for the way you listened to my heart, for your comfort and care while in the depths of my grief. Elders not only have a ministry of care, they have a ministry of prayer. They pray for the members of this church. They pray for you by name. We seek every year to pray for every member of the church by name interceding for you, just as Christ intercedes for you. Elders have a ministry as shepherds of guidance. Jeremiah 3.15, I will give you shepherds after my own heart who feed you with knowledge and understanding. Brothers and sisters, are you struggling with a particular decision, big decision or situation in your life? Sometimes people tell me, I'm just waiting to understand the will of God. I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me. Guess how he leads and guides you? One of the ways that he leads and guides you and gives you wisdom is through your elders. So I'm always going to ask someone who's struggling with those things, well, have you talked to an elder? You know, it would be good to pursue one of your elders and receive counsel on this. Uh, not only do we guide, we also guard. Elders have a ministry of protection. Paul warns the elders, Acts chapter 20, to shepherd the church of God which Christ purchased with his own blood because fierce wolves are coming. There are a lot of false teachers who seek to lead people astray, who are never satisfied, who are constantly seeking to devour and to destroy, who speak twisted things. I just met with one leader who runs a well-known missions course a couple of weeks ago, and I was deeply disturbed by the things that he was teaching, false teachings, masquerading as the truth, who will lead people astray. This is why our elders are overseeing all of the curriculum of any course that is officially taught at ECC. It's not because we're control freaks. It's because we want to protect the flock. 
We are charged with this responsibility by Christ himself to protect the church. And elders also have a ministry of correction. As shepherds, with the shepherd's staff, sometimes we have to correct and prod the sheep. We have to pursue those who are wandering. We have to correct those who are straying and bring them back. We teach and admonish, as Paul says. So the good shepherd himself appoints these shepherds over his flock, over his church, to guide and guard you, to feed you and care for you, to teach and admonish you, to grow you, to be like Christ. The good shepherd shepherds you through your faithful pastor, elders, gifts of Christ, his own under-shepherds, fellow workers with him for your growth in godliness. Not only are elders teachers of God's word and shepherds of God's flock, they are also given by Christ to lead and oversee the church. That's the third part of what do elders do. Elders are charged with the oversight of the church. They're called overseers. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, Peter says, exercise oversight. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 17, elders are, told, uh, elders are described as those who rule, who rule well. That means they govern the church. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 12, Paul speaks of elders having charge over the church. This is an extension of the function of shepherding, guiding the direction of the flock, guiding the direction of the church. And it involves leading, planning, decision-making, and governing. You know, you think of Acts chapter 6, there's a problem that arises in the early church, and it comes up to the apostles who were functioning as the elders at that time. And they look at this problem of division between the Hebrews and the Hellenists and they say, well, we won't want to be distracted from our ministry of the word and ministry of prayer. And so we're going to appoint qualified men as deacons to help solve this problem and administrate the issue. So the elders there are not getting bogged down with the details of administration, but they still solve the problem. Do you see that? They still make a decision that guides the direction of the church. And sometimes, you know, this is important to recognize. Elders are overseers. Sometimes people get confused. A few years back, we shifted to what we call elder-led congregational church governance. And I think some people have misunderstood that. Some of you maybe. Uh, we often get questions of like, oh, well, why didn't the church vote on this? You know, why don't we vote on that? For, for example, why don't we vote on a single service and on what time to meet? Or why don't we vote on this particular or that particular change? Well, friends, the reason why we don't vote on that is because God has given that authority to the elders. And we as a congregation have agreed that that authority belongs to the elders in our constitution. The, the constitution says this, the elders will be responsible for shepherding the members of the church towards Christian maturity, teaching and protecting sound doctrine, overseeing the church's affairs, ministries, and resources, and setting the church's vision. The Constitution also lists the particular areas where the congregation has final authority and the congregation must vote. All of those are spelled out in detail. So really the way it functions is the elders are like the steering wheel and the congregation functions like the emergency brake. And we'll talk more about the congregation's authority and responsibility next week. But we want you to recognize when we don't bring things to a vote, it's because we believe that that authority has been delegated to us as elders to make a decision for the good of the church. And that's what we're always seeking, the good of the church. 
Brothers and sisters, think of the things that the elders have led this church through in the last several years. Your elders have exercised oversight and seen the church through pastoral transitions, a global pandemic in a city that had some of the strictest rules in the world. They, they led us through a weekend change, which we had very little notice for, barely a couple of weeks. They've led us through three church plants in two years, establishing a world-class theological seminary here on site in Abu Dhabi, celebrating 50 years as a church, and so much more. Praise God for the elders that he has gifted ECC with, for their love, for their tireless service, for their constant heart to build up the body of Christ, to see the church thriving and prospering and strong for the glory of God and for your good. So we've seen that elders are shepherds of the flock, teachers of the word, overseers of the church. We've seen who they are, what they do. That leads to our final question. How should we relate to and respond to elders? How should you relate to and respond to your elders? Well, first, I want to exhort and encourage you to trust their leadership. Trust their leadership. You can't follow someone whom you don't trust. And you know, I have seen, and I know some of you have experienced bad leadership, leadership that abuses authority, that crosses the boundary of good authority into bad authority, that miswheels position and engages in politics, power play, manipulation, abuse. It's an ugly thing. It's a devastating thing. And if you've been through that, dear friend, I'm so sorry. I sympathize with that. I feel deeply sorrowful for that misrepresentation of Christ that you've had to go through in your life. But dear friends, that's not the picture of the elders at ECC. No, these brothers are faithful, godly men who are always seeking the good of the church and the glory of God. And so you are to learn to trust your elders. You know, one person says it's a serious spiritual deficiency in a church either to have leaders who are untrustworthy or to have members who are incapable of trusting. One of the ways you can exercise some trust is by not assuming motives all the time. If, an elders, if the elders make a decision or do something, don't assume there's some kind of hidden agenda or some hidden motive that they're not telling you about. You're not omniscient. You don't know everything. And sometimes we can't make all the facts and logic behind a decision clear to you. Sometimes we give you truthful, clearly stated reasons don't assume that there are ulterior motives. Another way that you can trust your elders is by having realistic expectations. Realistic expectations. Don't get frustrated or angry with an elder just because he's not your buddy, just because he didn't show up to your board game night, or because he's not your own personal spiritual guru that you can go to for every single thing who's your best friend. Don't be frustrated with elders for not being able to visit every single person, every single home, or every single small group. Your elders carry a heavy weight, brothers and sisters. There's a lot going on in the lives of people that you don't know about. 
And they bear a heavy weight. Sometimes you might ask them, can I pray for you? How can I pray for you? And, and they can't even tell you. Because some things must remain confidential. They bear a heavy load. So trust them. Trust that they are seeking your good. Second, submit to them. Submit to their authority. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 17 couldn't be clearer. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning for that would be of no advantage to you. Members of ECC, do you realize that elders are one of the ways that the Lord himself shepherds you? Scripture commands you to obey your elders, to follow your elders, to submit to them, to make their lives a joy and not groaning. And so to make our lives a joy, I would ask you, I would plead with you, trust us and follow our leadership, beloved. When you resist godly authority and the authority and leadership of good shepherds who instruct you from the word of God, you are ultimately resisting God himself. When you distrust faithful elders who instruct you and lead you according to God's word, you are ultimately distrusting the chief shepherd who has appointed them. So I want to ask you to examine your heart and life. What are the areas that you are resisting, distrusting the authority of God expressed in his word and expressed in your elders? Trust their leadership, submit to their authority. Third, follow their example. Again and again, the scripture says that the Christian life is to be one of imitation. Paul says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. He says in Philippians 3, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Friends, it's one of the ways you grow in godliness. It's by imitating your elders, by imitating their faith. It's how I became who I am today is by having godly men that God blessed me with who were elders in my church and who I looked at their life and I said, when I grow up, I want to be like Keith Hansen. I want to be like Ben Woodward. I want to be like Ryan Fullerton. Imitate the faithfulness of your elders. You want to be more like Jesus? You want to grow in holiness? You want to know more of the Lord in your life? Imitate your elders. Imitate Pastor Sam and Pastor Chris in their self-disciplined leadership, in their godly confidence, their knowledge of Scripture. Imitate Pastor Oscar and Pastor Cass in their love and compassion towards others, in their selfless eagerness to pursue those who are straying and wandering. Imitate Pastors Adam and Elias in their gentleness their humility, their deep care for others. Imitate Pastor Raymond and Pastor Andrew and Pastor Romy in their steadfast commitment and concern for the church. Imitate Pastors Will and Christian and Ben in their gracious hospitality, in their sacrificial love toward you, their devotion to Christ and his church. And I dare say it, imitate me. The scripture calls us to have an example that you should follow. And I would say, whatever you see of Christ in me, beloved brothers and sisters, whatever grace you see that God has worked in my life, take that example and emulate it. Sometimes people worry about saying things like that for fear of pride. But scripture says that we are to be an example. I am to be your example. The Lord has blessed ECC with a team of faithful leaders who in the diversity of their gifting and godliness radiate like a prism the entire spectrum of the brightness of the glory of Christ our chief shepherd. By imitating us in our pursuit of Christ, 
you will grow to be more like Jesus himself. Trust, submit, follow, stay with me. Number four, confront your elders with due process if we sin. Notice I said with due, due process. Recognize that we are also fallen, flawed, and sinful men. We all stumble in many ways. Recognize that the devil is eager to take down leaders. I could say this without hesitating. The persons who are under the greatest satanic attack whom you know in your life are your elders, more than anyone else you know. And elders are often particularly the victims of gossip, slander, and all manner of other satanic attacks. That's why scripture says in 1 Timothy 5, 19 and 20, do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. If you see serious, unrepentant, disqualifying sin in an elder's life and you have other witnesses who have seen it, make sure that that is known. Follow due process and bring it to the rest of the elders with witnesses. And if you see minor, occasional, non-disqualifying sin in the life of an elder, just let it go. Be patient and forgiving. Forbear. Or if you can't let it go, go graciously and talk to them and say, I was hurt by this. I just wanted to bring it to your attention. Don't gossip about them. Don't ruin their reputation by slandering them. Finally, love and honor them for their service. Love and honor your elders for their service. 1 Thessalonians 5, 12 and 13. Listen to these words from inspired scripture. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Does that really speak of your heart and posture? Do you esteem your elders very highly in love? Do you respect them? Brothers and sisters, let me urge you to esteem your elders by praying for us. We pray for you daily by name. Pray for us. May I encourage you to esteem your elders by expressing praise to your elders. Encourage them. One person says, a church will either enjoy the, the leaders God gives it and prospers by it, or they will reject it and pay a heavy price. Some Christians will bear a heavy judgment on the last day for wounding faithful under-shepherds of Christ. Let me encourage you, after this service, some homework. Go find an elder. I had them stand up earlier so you know who they are. Encourage them for their service. Thank them for the ways that God has used them in your life. Pray for them. Jesus, the Son of God, shed His blood, died, rose again, ascended into heaven, and gave you these men as gifts to you, dear Christian. So thank Him for them. And thank them for pointing you to Him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you.
for the shepherds that you have given this flock. May you bless and multiply their ministry. May you raise up others. And may you help us all learn to live in unity and submission for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.